I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It Podcast. Daily jazz advice coming at you. Yeah, and no no jazz advice uh, today. Today we wanted to talk specifically about a tragic loss that was suffered by the entire jazz community, the global jazz community, and that was the passing of Roy Hargrove on Saturday. Um, Peter, I know he was uh, he was a friend of yours, and you played with him for a long time, and uh, just wondering you know, how you're feeling about everything. Well, you know, it's... it's um you know, Roy was such a force in this music. I always knew that um, from when I first met him uh, when we were in high school, you know, uh, back in Texas in 1985, I believe it was. Um, so he's been a force of the music since then, yeah. you know, and it's kind of amazing to say that because, you know, he was a kid, I was a kid then, but he was truly something special. And I had met you know, a number of other special musicians, but there was truly something special about him. And that kind of continued from the whole time that I knew him. Um, he was, he's always been a leader of this music with his trumpet, yeah. with his compositions, with how he carried himself within the music. And I think over these past few days, what we've seen, this outpouring of, you know, love and appreciation from him, for him, both from other musicians that were fortunate enough to be around him and really just the jazz community in general, and the listeners, it's all kind of the same feeling. And I, I think and reflect on, on, you know, just how fortunate I was to kind of be around his glow just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for all of us, it's, it's the same if you play with him, if you listen to him. I mean, he was truth coming out of his trumpet, like his, who Roy was, that came through in his music and how he carried himself within this music. And he really was and will continue to be, you know, a beacon for, truth in this music I don't I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not overstating I'm kind of understating it I yeah, feel for like sure because I mean he is truly somebody that I think we should all aspire um to be in terms of when we talk about upholding the tradition of jazz and I'm not talking about a certain sound or anything I'm talking about where this music is presented is about the music and people come to hear it and they are wowed by the artistry and the dedication of the musician and Roy set that standard you know, and it's like, wow, he's he's gone now. Yeah. But his music, his ideals, and what he stood for is not gone. And so it's been, an, I don't know, an interesting few days, I think, for all of us in that, you know, I've just been listening to his music nonstop and sort of reflecting on him and thinking about all the things that I learned from him and all the joy that he brought. And so, like, I'm just totally inspired now to to follow in his footsteps as far as his dedication um, to music, you know? And um, I think what, a, what, what an unfortunate thing that, that he passed, you know, way too early yeah. at, at 49. But um, I'm already seeing that, like, what he's known for universally, like everybody that either heard him, saw him, or knew him, is for his incredible musicianship. And, like, as a player, he was not about the money, the fame, I mean, you know, people saw him and he dressed really well and that was something that he was into. But that really wasn't, it was all about music. Every time I saw him, like he's, he's sitting at a jam session, he's doing a gig on a recording, talking about music. It, it was like, I mean, he truly, um, you know, lived to the ideals that he believed in, I think, and and lived up to the hype, you know, yeah, and that's something sure. that's very rare. I don't, I don't know that it's ever existed in 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 our music like i mean i think that you know as we go along we're going to start to really reflect on this but i don't know if there's ever been anybody within jazz music that has been that has had the kind of singular focus and dedication to the music on as high of a level 
as he has. Yeah, I agree. Do you remember the, the specific circumstances when you guys met when you were in high school? You well, were in Texas. What was it for? Well, it was for the, the IAG, IAJE convention. Uh-huh. Um, we went down there with my high school band. And so that was like what became the what now is the gen the gen conference i think yeah. um but you know different high school bands would be invited to play mini and and college bands and i and we went i'm almost sure it was 1985 because i think i was a freshman i think um roy was a sophomore that year and um i had heard about him i mean he was like you know one of a number of musicians that i'd heard about i, I believe through winton marsalis either talking about him because i had met winton by that point mm-hmm. or just him sa- talking about him in an interview i mean he was like a name yeah. like as an up-and-coming player and so i went over it was like in a hotel like the marriott airport hotel in texas and um i looked on the schedule and saw that he, he went to texas um he's from dallas mm-hmm. i think it was dallas arts magnet high school and I went over and saw their band and heard him play. And I was like, wow. And I went over and introduced myself. And he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know about you. You play piano, right? And I was like, whoa, you know. And and that was kind of it, you know. And then I saw him years later, not that many years later, in, in, in New York. And then, like, all of our interactions were always, like, about music, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's just really the way that he was. When he asked me to join his band, that was like 1994. I had played with him a few times before that. So like nine years after you guys met in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, everybody who's been paying a tribute to him, when they talk about the first time they met him, usually as a teenager, you know, all these big names, uh, they mentioned that he was like a fully formed <laughs> player by this point. But that's really more of a personality thing. He seems to have just like this such a strong character and sense of self that it just came through probably from an early age is was that your experience yeah you yeah i mean he was you know he was interesting because i and i did not know roy well ever um i did there's a lot of musicians that knew him you know that i think were close with him at different times um much closer than, than i was and i didn't play with him for long although we you know we played in different situations over the years so i was fortunate to be around him and to play with him um, but it was really just that one year, what kind of year and a half, 94, 95, that yeah. I played in his band. But we worked a lot. But, I mean, I didn't even really – I mean, I had a couple of kind of in-depth conversations with him on the road, but not that many. Like, he was always kind of, like, practicing or off on his own, and the rest of the band was sort of hanging out. I mean, he would hang with us, but he kind of, you know, did his own thing. I mean, he was not, um, you know, afraid of being alone and stuff. Um, but but a, so a lot of my interaction with him was just through music and which really I think befits his personality and I I've heard that from a lot of a lot of other people but he was an interesting combination because he was very confident always in his playing but ex- his confidence was sort of right at the level that he was at hmm. he was never like cocky or anything he was a very humble player the, yeah. like the way that he played um, and the way that he would play with anybody like he was never above playing in, in with you know if he went to a jam session and the band wasn't that happening he would never just like leave he wanted to play he yeah. wanted to be the one to kind of elevate things and educate people through his playing um but that humility and stuff i think really came out in his sound that's the way i always heard it you know yeah no, i mean a lot of people have been saying how humble he was and how generous he was with his time to young musicians oh my god and yeah. to the scene which you you know again you see the flashy clothes and you think like oh maybe <laughs> he's just like you know cocky and does it but he's he wasn't in my experience either he wasn't like that at all super humble guy yeah easy to talk to and yeah. and it all came through in the horn too which was quite amazing yep another thing that strikes me well two things that that really have struck me thinking about him so much the past couple of days is that it's been it's hard to f- to think of someone who combined the history of the music and the future of the music as well as he did at the same time 
it was always there, you know, like you always felt like you were leaning forward. Even when he was playing straight down the middle, you know, swinging stuff, it felt like it was a forward leaning concept. Right. And then we would do stuff like the, the RH. The RH factor, yeah. You know, yeah. like then that was, was very forward in general, always felt grounded in the history. You know yep. what I mean? I was like, that's amazing. That is, that is the unicorn. That's hard to, for people to get, you know, yeah. and what we try to do so often. But I think that just uh, speaks to his level of commitment to learning the music the right way and going back and to really understanding it in order to go forward. No, that's that's a very important thing. I think that that's a huge part of his legacy and will will and should be is his ability to, you know, it's really there's an authenticity that he brought to the different projects that he did to, to the Ford, you know, forward-facing um, tendencies of his music. It was not like a gimmick, you know, yeah. at all. Like, he could pull it off. The same way, like, he would dress. Like, he would wear a, a really sharp suit and then, like, some Jordans yeah. with a different color. It looked and it awesome. Was, it would look good. Be, you know, whereas if I tried it or most people tried it, it would be like a gimmick or whatever. Right. But he did that with his music. And, and on the trumpet, it's not that easy to do. Like, what he like you think about saxophone players that can kind of pull that off, you know, going through different genres. I think it's a little bit easier. At least it's been done more. Yeah. Um, but Roy, like, had a deep understanding of, you know, hip-hop music and hip-hop culture and really came up in that. But he was like an old head kind of throwback jazz guy. Yeah. And so as opposed to saying, I'm going to jump back and forth from these things, which he could have done, he brought them both together all the time. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember when we were playing, even like back in 94, and he hadn't done any of his, like, official crossover pro projects or whatever but we were constantly putting like hip-hop stuff into the set into the acoustic setup yeah i mean i remember doing these like late night gigs in in paris at this club um called hot brass it doesn't ex exist anymore that we had another nickname for it but it was like you know <laughs> roy was was like we would do the jazz set and then the audience would kind of change as this like we did like three sets or something Get a little looser a little it, wilder yeah well he would just like sense it from the audience mm. like they wanted something else and then we, we would go into doing like some funk stuff some hip-hop stuff from the day some parliament whatever it was and just fit it in with like it wasn't like okay let's get another band and new instruments and it was like it was so authentic i learned so much about being able to kind of you know genre bend and, and jump around yeah. from roy because he did it like totally from the heart and totally authentically you know one of our blindfold tests a couple of weeks ago we had for for me you would put in there the strasbourg saint denis the, yeah you know which is like a total kind of crossover-ish song but yeah. still feels like it could be on Blue Note in the 60s somehow. Like, yeah. I mean, it doesn't actually sound like that, but it has that feel of like, it's a modern sort of groove, but it feels timeless and like jazz somehow still all at the same time. And I think one of the amazing things I was thinking of is there's only a handful of people in the last 25 years that have added to things that you hear at jam sessions. Mm. And that's one that I hear at jam sessions, at right. least around here in St. Louis. Uh, cats play it all the time, right? Because uh, it's like a memorable thing. It's 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 a hit. It's, it's a, a hit. Little, little it's jazz a, hit. It's a little <laughs> jazz hit. How often yeah. does that happen anymore? You know, it's very maybe one hand, two hands. You can yeah. count in the last twenty five years for that kind of stuff. It's yeah. hard, uh, and I think that speaks to his like universal appeal um, with both his personality, his music, his style. That's another thing I keep thinking yeah. of is like. Um, a stylish musician in not a superficial way, in, in a way that like Miles was stylish and, right. and you know, Louis Armstrong was stylish right. in a way that it mattered, that it was like, that it, it's slick and it, yep. it helps, you know, kind of make you feel something about the music that's not just like playing the changes and then yeah, now we yeah. take it outside and, you know, it's it bigger than that. He was like the opposite of a jazz nerd in, in, in all the right ways and that 
he was also a jazz nerd. Like musically, <laughs> yeah. he was a total jazz nerd. Yeah. I mean, like he knew every tune he could sit. I mean, I remember like he showed me, you know, when I was playing with him early on, he was like, man, you know, I, I remember Clifford. And I was like ashamed. Like, I didn't really know it. I mean, I kind of knew it, but I was like, ugh, not really. Because he was, we were about, it's like right before the gig. And he's like, oh, I'm going to show it to you. And he sat down at the piano and just like ran through the chains with like beautiful voicings and like, and then he's kind of looking at me like, do you have it? And I was like, he's like, oh, that's cool. I'll write it out. And then he just like sat down and wrote it out, this perfect chart for it with like the melody and the chord changes. And like, but that was sort of like, he really did a lot of homework yeah. early on and then continued to, but he had like, you know, by that, by the time he was in his early twenties, he had amassed such an sort of institutional knowledge of jazz yeah. that, the, you know, his trumpet playing, the creative creativity, the band leading, the, the composer and all that had like such a strong foundation in which to build these other things yeah um and then you know it's interesting you bring up you know miles davis and i, I don't want to overstate any of this but I, I would almost say that like to me roy you know moved between different styles even and which is something that you know miles was a master at and sort of sure. known as and they're both trouble players but i would almost say that like roy did that in a in an easier and more authentic way even than miles and it's not about pitting them against each other it just kind of brings to mind you know miles was very much like moved into you know he took a break and then did different things and he was very forward looking yeah like in, in a little bit more of, of a uh, um of of a you know measured way maybe whereas rory was just authentic he was yeah. just authentic and, and not to say that miles wasn't but he wasn't as calculating as that like you know rory um, really played what he heard and moved between these styles in a way, in a, in a position of authority. It was just say. effortless the way, he, I mean, the, in the same time that he was recording sort of straight ahead-ish sounding records or stuff with the RH Factor, uh, you know, he was doing the Soulquarian thing with Questlove and Eric yeah. Badu and D'Angelo and all these folks, I mean, and really fitting in seamlessly, yeah. you know, and adding quite a bit to all that. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think that stands out uh, and we can... We talk about this a little bit is you know our, our f mutual friend Montez Coleman played in this band for five years and and ever since I've known Montez he talks about Roy that his that his greatest strength is his ability to play just the melody mm. and just the melody you know like not adding any flurries or any extra notes but do it in a way on, on a ballad that is um, just perfect and and fits the song exactly yeah um, and I think we'll go out with a ballad uh, with Roy Hargrove playing uh, to put that ho point home. Yeah. So, yeah, just love and big ups, respect, and uh, we, we miss you, Roy, but your music lives on, your legacy lives on, and love you. <laughs>